Please open with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verse number 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the the glorious truth in this text today. I ask that you would help me to to present this truth, to preach this truth in in a way that is plain and clear. And Father, I ask that you would help us all to leave here today changed because of your word. Father, we ask for the Spirit's help to do this. And we ask that if there be any here who don't know you, who have not submitted their lives to Christ that they would see what Christ has, has done for sinners and turn to him this very day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If someone were to ask you to give them one word that really describes what Jesus has done for you, what word would you use? Would the word redemption be at the top of your list? Spurgeon said that the heart of the gospel is redemption. Thomas Watson said that the doctrine of redemption by Jesus Christ is a glorious doctrine. It is the marrow and quintessence of the gospel in which all a Christian's comfort lies. Great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. And so this is what Paul is is talking about in this text today, the work of redemption. And we're going to look at several things. First, the necessity of redemption. In him we have redemption. What what does this mean? What, What does the word redemption mean? Sproul says its primary usage in the Bible is to buy back from slavery. In the agricultural marketplace, there there were those who were sold as slaves. To redeem such persons meant to pay the purchase price in order to release them from their bondage. So when we see the word redemption, the, the primary usage is that of being bought back from slavery at a price. One source puts it this way, redemption is release from bondage through the payment of a ransom or the payment of a price. And Paul says we have redemption in him. And so we know from the the previous verse that him is referring to Jesus. So Paul is saying that in Jesus we have been released from bondage through the payment of a price. And who is the, the we here? He says we Well, we know that he is writing to Christians. He is writing to the saints in Ephesus. These are believers in Ephesus. 
And then all those believers who would read this letter afterwards. So he's writing to Christians. He's saying that in, that in Jesus, Christians, those who believe in Christ, have been released from bondage through, through payment of a price. And now Paul is saying that, that only Christians are redeemed or released from bondage. Then, then what does this say about those who are not Christians? Logic here tells us that they are in bondage. They are in bondage still. And since no one is born a Christian, what does this say about mankind? All of mankind is born in bondage. So so this means that that, that all of mankind is born in some kind of bondage and, and someone named Jesus paid some kind of ransom to set some people free from their bondage. But why does this matter? Is this really a big deal? Is man really born in some kind of bondage? After all, we feel free. Why why do we need to be released if we really are in bondage? Does Does it really matter that someone paid a price for people? Is this really worth me talking about for the next 40 minutes and you sitting there listening to for the next 40 minutes? I want you to remember that verses 3 through 14 is one long sentence in the Greek. And it is written as a praise to God. This is the context. Paul is praising God for blessing us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And now in verse 7, Paul is praising God for redemption. And so in this long praise to God, Paul begins by praising God the Father for, for the work that he did to bring, bring about our salvation. So, so he says the Father chose us before the foundation of the world and, and made us holy and blameless. And the Father predestined us to adoption as sons. He, he not only saved us, but brought us near to him through adoption. And now Paul, Paul transitions. <coughs> from praising God for what he did to praising God for the, for the work of the Son and bringing about our salvation. And he starts with redemption. So redemption is such an important truth for Paul that when he begins to praise God for what Jesus has done, this is where he begins. Paul is overwhelmed with the blessings with which God has blessed us And he starts here with redemption when referring to Christ. This tells us that for Paul, redemption is a big deal. It it does matter. It's something that should drive us to, to praise God when we consider it. So then we must ask the question, why is this a big deal to Paul? Why does redemption move Paul to praise? And to answer this question, we need to understand the necessity of redemption. We have already seen that redemption is release from bondage through the payment of a ransom. But to understand why redemption is necessary and even desirable, we must first understand man's bondage. Again, the concept, the very concept of redemption, man being released from bondage, presupposes that man is in bondage. So what type of bondage is Paul talking about? This is revealed in the, in the second statement that he makes in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 
If redemption is the deliverance from the guilt and consequences of sin, then it is sin that we are in bondage to from birth. We are born slaves to sin. Romans 6.6, 6, Paul says, We know that our old self is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What is he saying there? That outside of Christ, man is enslaved to sin. Our Romans 6.16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? If you are outside of Christ and therefore living in sin, you are a slave to sin, in bondage to sin. And he says in verse 17, You were once slaves of sin, reminding Christians of who they were before they came to Christ. They were slaves of sin. And Jesus states this point very clearly himself in in John chapter 8. Jesus said to to the Jews who, who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what do the unbelieving Jews say? What are you you talking about? We've never been enslaved to anyone. What do you mean you will set us free? We're not slaves. And how does Jesus respond? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The person who practices sin because they are outside of Christ is literally a slave to sin. To their sin. And this is also said different ways throughout Scripture. For example, in Ephesians 2, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is essentially saying the same thing. The person who is in bondage to their sin can be said to be dead in their sins. The Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms note this about bondage to sin. The power of sin is such as to enslave a person. One's whole orientation, outlook, and actions express a sinful nature. The unbeliever, because of his sinful nature, willingly lives in sin, enslaved to his sins. But there are also forces working to keep him there. There is power there. Paul said in Colossians, he he has delivered us from the domain. This means the power of darkness. We we were under the, the power of darkness in bondage to Satan, in bondage to our own sins. And then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. So so the unbeliever is also spiritually blinded. Here we are told that the devil himself works to blind the minds of unbelievers. So you see that they are not only enslaved to their own sins, but enslaved to the power of Satan working against them. Powerless. And one of the things that Satan does to blind us is that he tells man, he, perhaps he has convinced someone here of this, that sin is fun and fulfilling, it is satisfying, and it is pleasurable, and it is preferable to holiness. So the unbeliever wants to remain a slave to sin. 
Because he doesn't even realize it is slavery. He thinks it's freedom. He's blinded by the God of this world, as Paul said. But as Jesus told the Jews, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What is the common phrase in America? I can stop whenever I want. That's what we say when we're addicted to something, right? Oh, I can stop whenever I want until you try to stop. And then what happens? You realize, I'm a slave to this. And so perhaps there's someone here today who says with the the unbelieving Jews, I have never been a slave to anyone. Well, what do you mean I need redemption? I've never been a slave. Perhaps you are an unbeliever. You say, I'm not a Christian. But I am not a slave to anyone or to anything. And if you think this as an unbeliever, it is only because you are blinded. You love most of your sins, so of course you don't call it bondage. You don't want to part with them, so you are not aware of the chains that are binding you. But I would challenge you here today. Try to cast off those sins. And let me know how that goes for you. Try try to cast them off in your own power. Try to to stop those sins and see what happens. As long as as you stay within the confines of your sin, you don't realize that you're chained. But, But as soon as you try to leave outside of the confines of your sin, you recognize the chains are pulling you back. You're not actually free. Sin is transgression to God's law. It is disobedience to God. Go from here today and try to perfectly obey God's law and all of Scripture and let me know how that goes for you. You will soon find that you are in bondage to your sins. And perhaps there are even some unbelievers here today who already recognize their inability to do what's right. But perhaps you don't understand why. The answer is bondage. Slavery to sin. Is there any unbeliever here today who has been trying to be a better person? You have not trusted in Christ for salvation, but you recognize your need To change, you you recognize it. Perhaps your sins are getting you into too much trouble. Or maybe your sins are are giving you a bad reputation. Or maybe your sins are too embarrassing. So, So you recognize, I need to get rid of at least these sins that are causing me struggle. But the more you try, the more you realize, I can't do it. Maybe your uncontrollable anger or pride is damaging your relationships, ruining your marriage. You can't keep a job because you can't be told what to do. You just can't. You know you need this job, but, but you, you cannot help it. I, I, have to, I have to bite back when my boss says something to me. I can't help it. I've tried to stop, but I can't. Or maybe your lust is uncontrollable and so you are destroying yourself and you are destroying your spouse because of your lust and you recognize your need to change but you've tried with no success. 
Or maybe for you it's something like lying. You, you just can't tell the truth. You don't even know why you lie. You just do it. It just comes out of your mouth. And you think to yourself afterwards, why did I even lie? Was it necessary? What am I lying for? You lie at home and you lie at work and, and you recognize that your lies are starting to get you into trouble. But the more you try to stop, the more it happens. And maybe you have begun to wonder, is there something wrong with me mentally? Do, you, do I have some kind of mental disorder or condition that is causing me to do wrong? Well, if you go to a psychologist, they have a disorder for everything. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible calls this bondage, slavery to sin. And this is a condition of every human ever born. Jesus is the only exception. And the only reason why Jesus could be born without sin is because although he was born of woman, his father was not a man. He was miraculously conceived. But every man born of woman has been born in bondage and slavery to sin. What did David say? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. What what was David saying? From the moment of conception, he was in sin. And and not that he would sin later on, not not that he would become a sinner later on because he would sin, but, but because he was a sinner, he would eventually sin. He was born this way, born a sinner, so he would live his life in sin. And what does Jesus say about the person who practices sin? They are slaves to sin. And perhaps you say, So what? To sin obviously makes me human. So so what's the big deal? I'm enslaved to my sin, but what's the big deal? Dear friends, do you understand the seriousness of being enslaved to sin? What is man's predicament in, in light of this bondage to sin? Well, because of man's sin, he is under the wrath of God. God is a righteous God who would judge the world in righteousness according to the standard of his law. And this means that every sin will be punished. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for everything you've ever done, whether whether good or evil. Now think of that in light of being enslaved to sin. A person who's a slave to sin does nothing but sin, and yet he's going to give an account to God for everything he's ever done. That's a serious situation. Paul said in Romans 2, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed, he will render to each one according to his works. And he goes on to say, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. 
And it says in 2 Thessalonians, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. This This is a terrible situation to be in. But by nature we are slaves to sin, and yet God will judge us in righteousness. He will punish sin. For the wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6. And and this is not just a physical death because everyone has to die. So so what would be the big deal there? But Jesus said what? Don't fear the person who who can just physically kill you. Fear him who rather can destroy both body and soul in hell. So do you see the dilemma here? We are by nature enslaved to that which damns us. Consider that. The very thing that will damn you, you are a slave to by nature. This makes us totally helpless before God. You say, okay, God, you are going to judge me in righteousness because of my sins. That means I better start doing what's right. But it's too late because you've already spent your entire life sinning. You, are, you, you already deserve hell because of that. But then you say, okay, well, well I try to be a better person now. And I'm, and I'm going to try to stop sinning. And, and, and the Bible tells us we're slaves. You can't stop sinning. So you mean to tell me that I am going to be judged by God for that which I am a slave to and cannot break free from. Yes. That is man's predicament before God. That is man's helpless state before God. God's standard for righteous judgment is His holy law, and yet by nature we cannot obey it because we are in bondage to sin, which is disobedience to the law. We are stuck and there is nowhere for us to go. This is an awful predicament. So what do we do? This is where the doctrine of redemption comes in. Different, do you see your need right now for a redeemer? If you are an unbeliever, you are a slave to your sin. The wages you have worked for your entire life will lead you to hell What are you going to do? You need a redeemer. And so we ask the question, what what does redemption accomplish? Well, we understand that man is born in sin, in bondage to sin from his birth, and, and, and this has consequences. Because we are born slaves to sin, we cannot escape sin's power. And because we are under the power of sin, we live sinful lives from our very youth. And because we live sinful lives, we are under the wrath of God. He punishes sin. The wages of sin is death. And to top it off, because we live in sin, we have a guilty conscience and we feel the weight and the guilt of our sins. And here's the good news. Redemption releases us from all of that. In redemption, we are freed from both the power and the guilt of sin. Paul says in in him we have redemption through his blood, the, the forgiveness of sins. This is the only way, dear friend. The only way for your sins to be forgiven is that you have a redeemer. 
The very word redemption, again, indicates we, are, we have been purchased. This tells us that we have been set free from the bondage of sin. Redemption means we are no longer slaves to sin. And we are forgiven, which means release from the debt of sin. So we are released from the debt of sin and released from the bondage of sin. Saved from the guilt and the power of sin. But now how is this possible? Surely God is a, is a good and righteous judge. And this means that he can't just ignore sin. Because a judge who just ignores evil is not a righteous and a good judge. So, so how can we be forgiven? How can we be set free? If we were slaves to sin, how could we just be delivered from that? And if we had an infinite guilt because of sin, how can he just forgive us for that? Remember, redemption means to be released from bondage through the payment of a price. And so what was the price paid to redeem us? Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood. That was the price. The very blood of Christ. And not a drop of blood. This indicates death. Someone had to die for you to be forgiven. Either you had to die and try to spend eternity trying to pay off your debt, or Jesus had to die and pay for that for you. Our freedom and our bondage has been paid for by the blood of Christ. What, what did Christ say when he was instituting the Lord's Supper? What did he say the cup would represent? This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins. And because of this, it is said that we have died with Christ. Which means that we are now free from the slavery of sin. So, so we, 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 we have this forgiveness through redemption, but we also have this release from slavery in redemption. I love how that great hymn captures this element. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and what? The blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin, thou double Cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. And this is what has happened. The blood of Jesus was shed on the cross for the remission of our sins. The blood of Jesus was shed to set us free from both the bondage and the guilt of our sins. And the wonderful thing is that this sacrifice that was made once for all is sufficient for us. We, we don't add anything to it. When Christ died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Take comfort in this, dear Christian. This means that if you are a believer, there is nothing left for you to do to earn your salvation. You are free. You are clean. For the true Christian here today, struggling with condemnation, 
struggling with the thought that my sins are too many and too vile for God to forgive. You need to understand that you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. His blood is enough. Colossians 2.13 And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Every single one of them. And so the writer of Hebrews says, I I will remember their sins and and their lawless deeds no more. Quoting God there. Matthew Henry said that there should be no more remembrance of sin against true believers, either to shame them now or to condemn them thereafter. This is the power of forgiveness. If we are true Christians, our sins are no more. We are clean. So we can say with him, oh, precious is the flow that does what? Washes me white as snow. Dear friends, you are white as snow if you are a believer. The sin is gone. The, the condemnation is gone. But, but, but I know what some will say. You don't know my past. I mean, I understand that God forgives sins. And I understand that, that as a Christian, I, I, you know, my, my sins are forgiven. But, but I've done some pretty shady stuff in my past. Yes, I am, I'm trusting God for salvation, but, but some of the sins I have committed are so vile, so bad. And even some of the things I've done after, after professing faith in Christ is, is so bad that there's no way that God has actually forgotten about those sins in a sense that he remembers them no more and holds them against you no more. It does not matter how sinful we were. In redemption, our sins are paid for. We are washed clean. Lying, cheating, pride, anger, lust, blasphemy, pedophilia, adultery, homosexuality, rape, murder. If you truly have faith in Christ, you are forgiven. There's no sin too great. No sin too heinous for him to forgive you for. His blood has paid for it all. And let me prove this to you. What does Paul say to believers writing in 1 Corinthians 6? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Do you you hear those things he's mentioning there? Drunkards, revilers, extortioners, sodomites, homosexuals, adulterers, idolaters. And what does he say? And such were some of you. In other words, some of the Christians there in that congregation were once those things. But what happened to them? Paul says, but you were washed. The blood of Christ has cleansed you and you were sanctified and you were justified. That means you were made righteous before God in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Sodomites, 
homosexuals. Men unfaithful to their wives. Idolaters. Men worshiping false gods. And Paul says, you were washed. You're clean. You were justified. This means you are perfectly righteous now in the eyes of God because of the righteousness of his son. It doesn't matter who you were and where you were. If you are in Christ, you are clean. You are justified. You are righteous in the sight of God. And this is why Paul can say in inspired scripture in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Because 2,000 years ago, the debt was paid. Jesus said, it is finished. Every sin washed away. Nothing left for you to do. Such is the power of the blood of Christ. His blood can make the foulest clean. But what about the Christian? And I'm referring to the true Christian here who's struggling with sin. Even though you are a Christian, you are stuck in some kind of sin and, and it has mastered you and you feel as though you are enslaved to this sin. You, you, you are stuck in some kind of sin. You've tried to stop. But you can't. I can remember a, a story, I think it was Vody Bakum told, to, to prove this point. You can think of the Emancipation Proclamation and how slaves were set free. But if you were born a slave and lived a slave your entire life and someone says to you, now you're free, what do you do? You continue acting like a slave because that's all you know. You say, wait a minute, I've been chained my entire life. Yes, but, but you're free now, go. And then you still continue acting like a slave and doing what a slave does. Why? Because that's all you know is slavery. And this is how it is with us. We, we need to recognize and understand that we have actually been set free from our bondage. The, the blood of Christ has set us free. It has redeemed us from the slavery and bondage of sin. When that temptation comes, you think to yourself, I have to obey. No, you don't. As a Christian, you actually have the ability through the grace of God, to resist. You are not a slave. You are not in bondage any longer. What does Paul say in Romans? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, you were once slaves of sin, true, but you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. Dear friends, we have a new master. Recognize it. Every man in this room, every woman in this room is a slave. Either you're a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, one or the other. And if you are a Christian, you are no longer a slave to sin, so stop serving that master. This is real. We have actually been set free, free from guilt, free from wrath, free from bondage. And guess what? Even free from a guilty conscience. Our sins are forgiven. 
We don't need to, to, to carry around that grief and that, and that guilty conscience because of what we've done in our past. If we have brought those sins to Christ in faith and repentance, they are paid for. Let your conscience be free. They are gone. Remember them no more. Redemption is an absolutely amazing thing. And Paul takes this one step farther because remember, Paul is writing this as a praise to God. So Paul takes this one step farther to to elevate our gratitude to God. We say this redemption is wonderful. Now someone please tell me, how do I obtain this? What kind of work do I need to do in order to obtain this? And Paul says, according to the riches of his grace. Think about this. We were slaves to sin. And yet sin drags us to hell. And there was nothing we could do. But Christ offered his own blood to redeem us. And God the Father made this plan and offered up his son to redeem us. And he tells us you can't earn any of this. I did this simply out of the riches of my grace. Dear friend, it's a free gift. That's what he's saying. It's a free gift. We're Americans. We know nothing is free, right? You're going to at least pay taxes on it if they gave it to you for free. Not so with this. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. There's nothing left to do. He said, it is finished. There's nothing left to do. And then he says to us, you here, you can have this redemption. You can be set free from your sin. You can be set free from slavery. You can be set free from the guilt of sin. And it's all a free gift. The riches of his grace. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, for for by grace you have been saved. It's all of grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. You can't earn it. You can't add anything to the sacrifice. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. It was done in such a way that only, the only boast we have is in what God in Christ has done for us. John Gill wrote, How much soever it costs Christ to procure redemption and pardon, they are free to his people. Think about that. The price was high for Christ. His blood being spilt, which meant physical death, and it meant the wrath of God coming down upon him. And no matter how high the cost was for him, the gift is free to his people. He says, who are redeemed without money and price of theirs and whose sins are forgiven freely for Christ's sake. God created a plan knowing that we would be in need of redemption. And so he sent a redeemer, his his only begotten son, Jesus to have his blood shed for the remission of our sins and there was nothing we could do to earn it, nothing we could do to buy it, nothing we could do to pay for it and he gave it to us anyways and said, here is a free gift because of my grace. 
Are, are you giving this to me because I'm a good person? No, you're a vile sinner. Are you giving it to me because I'm so special? No. Why are you giving it to me? The riches of my grace. That's all. The riches of his grace. Dear friend, if you are not a Christian today, and you've been listening to this, well, what do you do with this? Perhaps you, you recognize your, your bondage to sin and you know that, that those chains will drag you down to hell for all eternity. What do you do with this? Why remain in those chains? Why carry around with you the, the guilt of what you've done in the past and what you're doing right now? Why live under the wrath of God? Why remain a slave to your sins when, when salvation is offered to you today? He offers to deliver you from the bondage of sin and He offers to wipe away, to forgive all of your sins. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. All that's required of us is that we have faith, that we trust in Jesus for salvation, and that we turn from our sins, and all of this can be yours today. Listen, your, your sin can be wiped away today. You can become righteous before the, the, before the, the eyes of God the Father today by accepting the righteousness of His Son through faith. Just believe that Jesus died for your sins. That He paid for them. And this gift is yours for free. I love what Calvin says about this. Paul is writing this as a praise to God. And he's contemplating redemption. And this causes him to, to praise God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Paul is overwhelmed with this truth. Calvin said the apostle feels himself unable to celebrate in a proper manner the goodness of God. And he desires that the contemplation of it would occupy the minds of men till they are entirely lost in admiration. Dear friends, are you lost in admiration for what Christ has done for you? You were not a good person. You were a slave. And redeemed you for free. He's removed that guilty conscience. He's removed the weight of your sins. And he's removed the chains that, that held you in darkness for free. Should we not be lost in the admiration of what God has done for us? This is what caused Charles Wesley to write that great hymn. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Sing what? My great Redeemer's praise. When, when I think about my great Redeemer, I wish I had a thousand tongues to praise Him with because that's what it deserves. 
He says, the glories of my God and King, the the triumphs of His grace. His grace is triumphant. The riches of His grace, it, it has freed us from our guilt. It is triumphant. It has freed us from the bondage of slavery. It is triumphant. And this is all in Jesus. Because of Jesus. And so he writes, Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. This name is music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and death, health rather, and peace. And listen to this. Listen to this truth. He breaks the power of reigning sin. He sets the prisoner free. There it is. Freedom from bondage. Those chains of bondage. They're gone. He he has broke the power of that reigning sin in your life and and He has set you free from prison. But not only that, His blood can make the foulest clean. Including me. His blood availed for me. His blood can make the foulest clean and I am living proof because it has availed for me personally. There's the freedom from guilt. Freedom from the wrath of God. Freedom from the bondage of sin. This, dear friends, is redemption. This is what called Spurgeon to say redemption is the heart of the gospel. This, dear friends, is what caused Paul to say praise God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. May we contemplate these things. May, may we contemplate what, what redemption means to us when, when we consider the fact that we have been redeemed. And once again, may we be lifted to praise like the Apostle Paul and may praise pour forth out of our mouths, out of our minds, and every aspect of our being. May we live in absolute praise and adoration to God for what He has done for us. Let us pray. Father, we can't thank you enough for what has been accomplished for us. Dear God, we were slaves not even realizing our bondage. Not desiring a Redeemer, and yet you set us free. We had a sin debt that a mere mortal man could never pay. And so Christ the God-man came and paid it for us. What a great Redeemer. We plead with you, Father, that that if there be anyone here who, who does not know the release and the pardon that is offered in Christ, that, that they would know it this very moment. That you would regenerate their hearts. And that they would respond to this glorious gospel with faith and repentance. That they would trust in the Redeemer for salvation. And Father, May our hearts and our minds be overwhelmed with gratitude for what has been accomplished 
on our behalf to your Son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.